for me, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is God's grace. I mean, I mean, this this was not some some guy that grew up, you know, trying to be good. <laughs> I mean, he did try to be a good Jew. Uh, so there there is that. We do, I don't want to be uh, discourteous there, but you know, he, by by his own admission, he was a persecutor of the very people of which he then became a leader. You know, I mean, you you really and and a murderer. And you know, and I mean, he he literally uh, was a religious terrorist. I mean, that's a that's to to turn that person into the impact player for that cause. Welcome to the Search Podcast, where we have conversations about the big questions of God and life. I'm your host, Blaine Larson, and today I am joined by Dr. Mel Cure from Search, Collin County, just around the corner from where we live. Uh, Mel, you're a repeat guest. We are glad to have you back on the podcast today. And I'm honored as always, Blaine. Thank you. So as we've been doing these these podcasts, one of the fun things that we've had an opportunity to do is interview people whose lives have been profoundly impacted by Jesus. And we've been doing that with live living people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Typically. <laughs> it's hard to have a podcast with someone's dead. It, yes. it is, but we're going to try to do that today because uh, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to do one of these, these impact stories, but we're going to take a look at a character from the Bible. Mm. And we're going to look at his life and the difference that, that Jesus made. Because I think that a lot of people who might be listening to this podcast, uh, they, they're they interested. You've got to be interested enough in, in Christianity and Jesus to, to be listening. Maybe some familiarity with, with the Bible, but it – it can be easy to think that the characters in the Bible were holier than thou. They had everything put together. That the the way you make it into the Bible is if you're like the greatest person. Uh, it, <laughs> and so, yeah. it is really uh, except for this one guy is really not the case. That the characters in the Bible. Warts and all, good and bad, uh, they're like us, and that's what's so intriguing about reading how God used them. One of those characters that is amazing to to study is the Apostle Paul. And so today we're going to look at his story, and and you've got the the job, uh, the task of walking us through. The life of the Apostle Paul and the difference that God made in this man's life. So why don't we start at the beginning, uh, Mel, and and just take us back. uh, Who is Paul? Where's he from? What's some of his his background and his life before he has an encounter with Jesus? Okay, I'll do my best, Uh, and I am glad to be here. Thanks. Uh, Okay, so Paul was really born as Saul, went by his Hebrew name Saul, was born somewhere between 1 to 5 CE or AD, depending on how you want terminology you want to use there, in a province in what is currently southeastern Turkey, a city called Tarsus. So he was considered, and this is a fancy word, a Hellenistic Jew. He was of Jewish birth, of Jewish the son and grandson, as I understand, of Hebrew parents, Jewish parents, but he's born in a Grecian colony, a Grecian area. So that's what Hellenistic yeah, means. So he's 
you know, at least he knew and, and could converse in three languages, uh, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, possibly knew a little bit of Latin as well, based on the education he went on to get later. Anyway, so he's, at first 12, 13 years he spends in Tarsus, his parents send him down to Judea, to Jerusalem, uh, when he's 13, to be apprenticed to, to be discipled by, that's what that word literally means, uh, by Gamaliel, arguably one of the two most famous rabbis ever. He was a rabbi to rabbis. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews when they were under Roman rule, and actually stood, spoke in a really famous uh, uh, scene where Peter is basically brought before them, uh, before the Sanhedrin, this ruling council, because he had had this amazing message that indicted Jews for <laughs> how they missed the truth, they, they missed Jesus, and man, in the midst of that, there was a lot of anger, and what do we do with this guy? And, the, and Gamaliel intervenes and, and offers some wonderful wisdom in the fifth book of um, this chapter of Acts. You could look at that later, but point being, he's, he's brought up in his Hebrew faith under the teaching of one of, literally one of the two most famous and knowledgeable, you know, revered, uh, if you will. Go ahead. You want No, to well, I just, I'm curious, and you may not know the answer to this, but I would think you'd have to be a very special individual to be accepted as a disciple of Gamaliel, right? Absolutely. It's not like anybody could go. Uh, that's a great point. And I don't know the backstory and how he was, uh, got accepted, if you will, because you're right. They didn't attach hundreds of guys to these teachers. These were a handful of the cream of the crop. So he obviously showed tremendous potential, probably, well, and I don't know the answer to that explicitly, though. But yeah, well, we we do know, just based on Paul's writings from the New Testament, that he was brilliant, and and I and I think you can say that whether you think whether you believe any of what he wrote or not, uh, the guy was very very smart and and very well thought out and reasoned, and the ability to even read and write in three or four languages, let alone. To write letters that people are still studying. Well, and to be today. Co- be comfortable in all these different settings. I mean, I mean, he could not only reason with theologians of the day; he could re- reason with the marketplace and the business person. He was very comfortable in all those occasions and locations. So, yeah, relational IQ as well as regular IQ. I think he's pretty high on the scale. So, and give us just a broad overview too of what what would somebody learn if they go to study Judaism under Gamaliel. They're going to learn what? So Judaism, kind of like most religious labels, have subsets, subcategories, subsects, S-E-C-T-S kind of groups. And so he was a Pharisee. Pharisee meaning a kind of a separatist, a Jewish nationalist, one who in, adhered strictly to the law of Moses, and and were see, they saw themselves as defenders of the faith and and purists, keeping it pure, you know, from contamination. So he would, he would have been well, very conversant with the with the Hebrew text of the Bible, particularly the law, prophets. Under Gamaliel, he learned to uh, also then to to lead education. I'm looking at notes. I don't need them. <laughs> Sorry about that. You know, it's just, just I start to sound like an old summary professor, and I don't mean to. Uh, I mean, he would be very, very conversant in what we consider to be orthodox, conservative tenets of Judaism, at least in the yeah. So, all that to say, does that give is that answer? Yeah, no, that's that's what I was I was looking for. Basically, our Old Testament, he was an expert, yes. and probably would have had a lot of it committed to memory 
right? I mean, with the kind of training that, yep. that he got. Yeah. So just just painting a picture for people. And this yep. is a very, very serious undertaking that he took. Okay. So he gets done with his training. What what happens after that? What do, what do we know about his pre-Jesus life and lifestyle? Yeah. So so he, he is pr- the first actual mention of him. And again, obviously our greatest resource for information about this character is the Bible itself, particularly the book of Acts, which is a more of a historical narrative kind of describing events, at least highlights of events that take place somewhere around the early 30s AD as Christ is supposedly resurrected at this point and is about to ascend in chapter 1 through about AD 62 to 65. We know that anyway for whatever reason. There's about 30 years worth of just here's the high points of what happened to the early church, what happened to the followers of Jesus and that following in those 30 years in that period. So again, Paul's born 1 to 5 AD or CE, however you want to describe it. So he's mid-30s, early 30s. At this point, he was was fairly, he's graduated under Gamaliel. Speculation is he probably was present in the Sanhedrin that day that that this whole movement starts to come to the attention of not just the Romans, but the Jews and the leaders of the Judaism. Anyway, so he hears Peter's defense. He he later um, the, comes on the scene. He's mentioned by name in the what the seventh chapter, I think it is, right near the end of Acts seven. And that's after Stephen, one of the first deacons, if you will, one of the first guys that's nominated to help do the the hands-on dirty work in the church. Stephen has this amazing message that really, really causes a stir and gets him in trouble to the point that the crowd's so riled up, particularly the Jews, are so riled up that they want to throw rocks at him until he's dead. I used to say stoning, but people took that the wrong way and thought they were smoking something, but that's not the case. But anyway, and it says they laid their garments at the feet of this young man, Saul, and that he is in total agreement as they literally throw rocks at this guy till he's dead, you know, just so good. No, so that that tells you a lot about his just what he believed. I mean, that you're present and active at at a. St- I mean, can you? I can't even imagine watching uh, something like that happen in real life. I mean, it's 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 kind of one of those things. that's easy to read in black and white. Think of stoning, or they talk about it in in Acts. They talk about it in the Bible, but. You think of what it would look like. I mean, oh my gosh, it's like horrific. What a way to watch somebody die. I mean, it's awful. Yep. And to think that Paul is the kind of guy that believes so strongly, whatever he believes, that he's not only watching it, but he's glad it's happening. Well, yeah, the the text actually says, yeah, not only was he there, it says he was giving approval to what was being done. And then later on, it goes on to say, godly men bury Stephen and mourn deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. He literally believed he was doing God's work and defending God's faith by persecuting, if you will, by going after these followers of Jesus and dragging them off to prison, ultimately to death. Uh, so, yeah, he's and, a religious zealot, at the very least, a religious terrorist at worst. And in the early church, he was pretty well known for this, correct? Oh, yeah. Well, he, he certainly got a reputation, yes. Yeah. So much so that when a change takes place, people are afraid they don't believe the change. <laughs> and they, like, you, we know about you, dude. There's no way you can be on our team now, you know. How does Paul— describe himself 
looking back on his life before Jesus. I'm putting you on the spot for That's a Bible okay. reference here, but I know he he does this multiple times, and and I think I think it'd be interesting for everybody to hear how he describes just this this part of his life and what he was doing. Well, probably the the most concise place that we could go is in the second chapter or the third chapter of Philippians. It's a letter he wrote to a, to a little group of people that had come to follow Jesus in this town called Philippi, and he's writing them a letter. And at one point, he says, if anyone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in their flesh, in other words, in their pedigree, in their resume, if you will, he says, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, meaning he was a Jewish Jew. The eighth day was what devout, you know, Orthodox Jews did. They had their kids circumcised on that eighth day. So that's proof of the people of Israel. So he's not a proselyte Jew. He's not a Gentile convert to Judaism. Of the tribe of Benjamin, yes, they were the smallest tribe. They were also the tribe of the first king of Israel, Saul, his namesake. Interesting. I wonder if there's coincidence there. Um a Hebrew of Hebrews, in other words, again, he's of Hebrew lineage. So he's, you can be a Jew, you can be a Jew, you can be Jewish, you can be a Jew, you can be a Jew, Jew. You know what yeah. I mean? And he was both. He not only was from there, but he was of that lineage and that faith. So it wasn't just uh, his uh, his um, citizenship, if you will. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and then he goes on to say, uh, you know, a Pharisee. So he wasn't a Sadducee. He wasn't a, a hell. I mean, he wasn't a. a Oh, there was four the Essene, um, the Herodias. There were four different kinds that I know of in that day. Four different main sects of Judaism. But saying, he's saying Pharisees. He said we were the the purists, if you will. We were the the most conservative, the most devoted literalists of the Old Testament. You know that deal. So he's he's saying I'm a Pharisee, and then it says as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So he saw himself as a Jew, Jew, as a real Jew, as a defender of Jew, Jewish purity. As a matter of fact, the word Pharisee literally means separatist or to separate. And they felt like the way to avoid contamination from Gentiles was to separate either the, either yourself from the Gentiles or the Gentiles from you. And in this case, he, he becomes a terrorist. I mean, anyway, so there's a short kind of re- resume brief of his own he's given to those guys because then he after his conversion he said goes on to say something else but we'll come back to that i'm sure yeah well i will i will say this because he says as to zeal mm-hmm. a persecutor of the church and he means the church yeah. of jesus not the church of the hebrew of course not the synagogue but yes he's a persecutor of the way so he's self he indicts himself absolutely so i think we painted a pretty good picture of of paul and his life before he meets Jesus. He was well-educated. He's bright. He's he's clearly had to – he was a standout person on his own right long um, long before. I mean he, from the time he was he was young, you would think, in order to get where he got in, in life. He's educated under one of the best rabbis in the history of, of Israel. And he's now not a fan of Jesus and to the point where he's helping and, and aiding people who are persecuting the, the church. That's the setup. Yeah, we missed one other thing. He also is a Roman citizen, which was rare for the Jew of that day. The Jewish people, Israel, the Israelis, had literally been a conquered people group by the Romans and were a vassal state of Rome. And, you know, and so 
for him to be a Roman citizen Jew made him even more distinct. It also gave him more freedom, to, and, and he, could, he could be more zealous, if you will. He didn't have to ask permission. Well, and it comes into play later in it his story does. as well. Yeah. So great, great reminder there. So, okay, that's the setup. Mm-hmm. Now he's on his way. He's on a horse, I believe, a horse or a donkey. I can't remember. Something like that, an animal. Yeah, I don't think he was walking. He's riding somewhere <laughs> on something with it four legs. the subway. We can be safe from there. Yeah, okay. but he's heading from uh, Jerusalem to Damascus, which is still a city in, in yeah. Syria. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe a little bit to the north or the northwest. And so he's on a road, he's he's riding, and what happens? Well, there's and we could look at the literal narrative as it's described in Acts chapter nine, verses one through twenty-two. But what's interesting to me is Paul himself later in the book, in two different places, rehearses his own conversion story, if you will, this this story. Gives it a little bit tighter, I think, than what we could do. So maybe we could do that and we don't yeah. bore people with this. But in Acts 22, uh, he is speaking before, again, the Sanhedrin, I believe it is. But anyway, he's uh, he says, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And when they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Well, that, we can talk about that in a minute. Paul says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way. That was a reference to the early followers of Jesus. To their death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify, meaning the the leaders of this Sanhedrin. I was even I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon as I came near Damascus suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me Saul Saul why do you persecute me Who are you Lord I asked I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting he replied My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said. Go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and he said, Brother Saul, Receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. We're told in Acts 9 he had been blind for three days at that point. Uh, then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know this one and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins, calling on his name. And then he returned to Jerusalem. So there he goes. So he has this encounter with the risen Christ. At least that's what the text attests to. So what do you say? I've got a, we have a bunch of questions bunch to of un, questions. Un, unpack this. But what's a simple response if if somebody's tracking with us, they're listening along, they're listening to the story, so far so good. But now we bring in the miraculous now here's one of these dang stories in the Bible where God jumps in and something happens that doesn't happen every day. A miracle, if you will. Um, and 
what do you say to someone who listens to this story and goes, okay, you lose me. You lose me at the the blinding and the healing and the voice from heaven. And uh, how, how do we respond to to that kind of thinking? Well, I think obviously there's multiple ways we could kind of approach that. The first thing that came to my mind is go, well, let's, Let's listen to the rest of the story, and then I'd love for you to give me an alternative answer as to what might have caused this kind of change in this person's life, especially to the end that it leads, if you will. That's a that's a good that's a good point. I, I'm also okay. thinking too of of it goes back to the question of God, mm. right? And, and so, which everything does at some point, but questions like this come back to you. Well, is if there really is a God? that made everything we can see, the whole entire universe, then it's possible you can do stuff like this. This would be no problem. Philosophically, anyway, you can see that it's it's not an issue. If you grant that there's a God like this, he can do stuff like this. That's right. Um, and we have other podcasts you can go listen to about about miracles, about evidence for the existence of God. And so you may go check those out if this is interesting mm-hmm. to you. So, but... But Paul has this amazing encounter with with Jesus that um, pretty famous people call it. It's like a colloquialism, a little bit road to Damascus yeah. moment, um, and and it really did change him. Um, to, which you alluded to when you think of what happens in the rest of his life and what he goes on to do. He never backs down from from this. Just the opposite. He, he leans totally in, into it. I mean, it's amazing to go from persecutor to preacher overnight, to to move from one who was totally convinced he was doing God's will, persecuting this group of people, to now going, uh-uh, I'm supposed to go tell the rest of the world about these people and the person that they're following. And so everybody in the early church immediately accepted him, right? <laughs> no, no. They believed his story. No, I mean, so yeah, that's the other thing. If you're going to pick a career path, if you're going to pick a direction to turn in a life, I don't think you would turn into the direction that he turned into for, for a casual reason. Because the reality is he turned into the teeth of his own people, his own Jewish faith, but also he turned into the suspicion and then the— resistance of the followers of Jesus at that time because he says, now I'm with you guys. And they're like, no, you're, are you kidding me? Get back, you know? So not a popular choice, not not a popular direction to, to move toward. And I don't think you would do that, especially if you're an intelligent, well-educated, articulate, seasoned man, you know. You'd know the cost, I think. Yeah, and so what was the response? The response. There was the there was the religious leaders, the followers of Jesus, the the apostles, the early leaders. You know, uh, Peter, James, so forth. Then there's the the broader community of believers there in in Jerusalem. What were what was their response to to Paul's conversion? Almost to the man. There's one exception that we'll talk to in a minute. But man, almost to the man. There's there's Obviously, initial suspicion at, at least, fear and at worst, and and ostracism, and and it needed some time. They're like, "Wait, hold it! You know, it, we got to have some time to grasp this." And 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 Paul was okay with that. He took his time, and he he didn't then try to go get accreditation or or acceptance from the the leaders uh, more than 
then after this initial attempt and there was some resistance, so he backs off and he just goes and he just starts talking to people. Just, just starts talking to people and just starts reasoning with those that are of Jewish background because here's where his brilliance kicked in. It's kind of like all of a sudden he realized this is he of whom the whole of our faith, the Jewish faith, speaks and anticipates and longs for. You know, and so, boy, it, for him, the penny dropped. And I think, so not only does he have the the, uh, the knowledge base, you know, to build on, but now he's got this incredible excitement because, boom, you know, here he is, the hope of Israel, boom. You know, and, he's, and he can reason with the, both the, the synagogue people there and in the synagogues, but also out in the marketplace, you know. Everybody needs to hear this. And... He eventually gets an audience with the the church leaders mm-hmm. in Jerusalem, right? Don't they call him in, and or I forget the exact arrangement, but they want to go. Okay, are you preaching the same thing that that yeah. we are? Does our story line up here? And yeah. and that was a big moment in his post meeting sure. Jesus uh, life, right? Absolutely, yeah. And actually, there was a couple of different touch points early and there's some you know there's there's a couple of different touch points with the leaders in Jerusalem um, but what really I think started to turn the corner is when a guy named Barnabas a brother of encouragement he's called when Barnabas goes to Tarsus to get Paul and says look I want you to come with me there's there's something busting out in this whole Jesus movement and momentum up in this place called Antioch, and I want you to come help me. And so you got, they, they went, they spend a year there together, and after a year, things have grown and exploded so much under their teaching and their living this reality of Christianity before these people up there. The, the, the church in Jerusalem hears it and says, man, you guys need, we need to talk. You know, come in here, let's make sure we're talking the same thing. And so in Acts chapter 15, I think it is, is a big council in Jerusalem. And man, there's some wonderful, it's a beautiful chapter to read, I think. Um, sure doesn't read like a fairy tale either. It's not a once upon a time kind of thing. But it, yeah, so are you with us? And, and let's talk about what's, what, what are the main, what are you saying? And what are, we want to make sure you're consistent. And from that, they were endorsed to go and keep going. And that then leads to what's considered what's called his missionary journeys, where we're from about the thirteenth chapter of Acts, I think, on to through the twenties, you see him going, this is starting in about, you know, AD, what, early forties, mid forties, through the mid fifties, I think he makes three different journeys throughout the major cities of the inhabited world of that time. I mean, this guy, they get out there talking about Jesus, not just at their hometown. They're, you know, they're covering a lot of territory. And as a friend of mine says, the way you reach a world is you reach cities. You know, you hit the cities to reach the countryside. If you try to do the countryside, it hardly ever works its way in the sea. So brilliant. I mean, you know, so all that to say, off we go. Yeah. And so Paul is out taking the message of of Jesus to these cities and his his journeys, of course, not exhaustively documented, but they are pretty well cataloged in most of the book of, of Acts, like especially the back two thirds. And if you've got or if you can go, you can just Google his missionary journeys if you want to see. But if you have a Bible that has maps in the back, typically a few of those maps 
are just dedicated to Paul. Yeah. If you've got one laying around, go go grab them. You can see, and and you almost got to put yourself back in in those days because now we think of traveling around; it's kind of fun. You get on an mm-hmm. airplane. Well, it's not as fun as it used to be, but <laughs> it's easy to travel. Yeah. We got cars, planes, all kinds of stuff. Back then, I mean, he was he was on these Roman ships. He had multiple shipwrecks that are recorded, maybe some we, we don't know about. Sure. It wasn't the easiest way to get around, I mean, oh, no. crude from, from our modern standpoint. And yet he, he took this message all over the Mediterranean multiple times over a couple decades yeah. and, and really made, made a big impact. A huge, obviously, a huge impact. Yeah, absolutely. So – that's basically the story of Paul, and there's so much more we could go into. Uh, before we talk about, because I want to spend some time here on what does this really mean for us? Mm-hmm. What are some sure. points of application? I I would be curious to know what do you think the story of Paul teaches us about God? Mm. That that God would pick him to do what. What he ended up doing. What do we learn about God? And then let's talk about some things we can learn practically, specifically from Paul's life. Yeah. Well, yeah. For me, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is God's grace. I mean, I mean, this this was not some some guy that grew up, you know, trying to be good. <laughs> I mean, he did try to be a good Jew. Uh, so there, there is that. We do. I don't want to be uh, discourteous there, but. You know, by by his own admission, he was a persecutor of the very people of which he then became a leader. You know, I mean, you you really and and a murderer, and you know, and I mean, he he literally uh, was a religious terrorist. I mean, that's a that's to to turn that person into the impact player for that cause is a god story. I don't I don't see that happening. You know without some uh, some really amazing grace going on. Well, and this is not a one-off yeah. in in the Bible not either. It's not like the rest of the characters you're running into are 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 a whole lot uh better uh, types of people, but but Paul seems to me is an archetype of the kind of person that God picks thankfully because we would all be with uh, little to no hope, if if he couldn't do stuff like that, so I, I think Paul's that the God would use a person like Paul should encourage every single one of us. Now, what do we learn specifically from Paul's life? What are some some application points for us? Yeah, takeaways. I, I mean, I'm sure there's a plethora. I just thought of three or four here that, that I thought might be helpful. The first one is is one that we kind of speak to often in search. I'll say it this way, sincerity, zeal, and great education about something doesn't make it true necessarily. I mean, here is a guy who was arguably the Jewish Jew of his day next to Gamaliel. I mean, he knew what it was about, and he was passionate about it, and he was a put skin in the game in terms of going out after people that he thought would contaminate the purity of Judaism. He really thought he was doing God's will, you know, but, but as we talk about in search, you know, the measure of faith, the measure of what we're counting on, what we believe in is not 
how much we've got, but the object in which we're counting. And and so here's a guy who who go. His, it was all proved wrong to him. You know, and, uh, amazing. And and I, I just think there are a lot of friends that we run into uh, in what we get to do that are sincere, devout. I've got. And, you know, again, I'm not trying to single out people group, but these are people I know that just come to mind. I've got sincere Buddhist friends. I've got a sincere Muslim friend. I've got a sincere Jewish friend who's the son and the grandson of a rabbi. I mean, these guys are sincere, you know, and and there's in, in his case, he's very well educated. But that doesn't necessarily make it true. That doesn't necessarily make the place they're looking to for their hope or the, to be the, the truth, you know? So, so I think there's a lesson there. We gotta be really careful. And the measure of faith is not its extent, but it's its object. That's a, that's a very, very good, it's a hard point, but it's, it's a good point. And it really changed Paul's life and his trajectory being able to pivot from what he grew up learning and what he, what he was taught. But the, the flip side that I would say, if I could nuance yeah. it, if it's so, okay, is that it wasn't as if his education and his upbringing and his life were wasted either. Uh, oh, not at all. Because he it, – and, and it's not that everything he thought was wrong either. Oh, no. So, uh, yeah, it, it's not a 180-degree turn. I, I, I don't think it would be controversial to say if Paul hadn't been trained by Gamaliel – he wouldn't be able to write the the New Testament in the way that he did with the understanding theologically, uh, biblically that he has uh, because he was educated Absolutely. in the way that, that he was. God God used that. He changed it. His perspective changed. His, his object of yeah. his faith changed. But uh, that didn't mean that everything he thought prior to was, was wrong or, in fact, just the opposite. God God use the good stuff. Absolutely, and, and, there, and there's truth out there. Absolutely, and he he certainly was. Well, yeah, we could ramble on that one for sure. I totally agree with you. I do think that. Um, see, I want to say so. It wasn't like a piece of a puzzle was missing. A person mm-hmm. is what was missing. So, so Judaism in and of itself, of course, obviously we. Those of us that call ourselves Christians or followers of Jesus, we embrace the whole of the Bible, of which, you know, the Old Testament absolutely were the Hebrew Scriptures. So it's not that, yeah, it's not an either or; it's a there was more kind of thing. So, so, and that brings up a second thing I think we can learn is you know there's there's a what Paul encountered was not a new religion. What, what Paul ran into on that road that day wasn't some better theory or, or advice on how you get to God. He met a person. So, so why are you persecuting me was what the voice said. I, I think that in, what, what I see often in people I interact with in, in Collin County where I live and get to try to invite people to come to know Christ as I see people thinking that what we're asking them to do is is move, change one team and join another, you know, to put put aside that theory on how you get to God, and this is a better theory. I've got you a new set, you know, new 
new playbook, if you will, if to use athletic. Anyway, and, and no, I, what we have to remember is it was a relationship that changed this religion. Yes, there's a religion that grew out of it, but the reality is the essence of Christianity is we're, we're called to trust in a person yeah, to do what we couldn't do, <laughs> which is save ourselves, you know, which is, which is get to God. I mean, it's the only religion where God came to us. That's what we just celebrated with Christmas, the Advent coming, God with us is what that word. Anyway, so I'm sorry, you want to say something? No, it's just, it's a great point. And it's the Christianity is the only religion where that's true that's too. Right. Every it's other religion says, here's the new rules. Here's the new playbook. Here's the things here. you got to go do. Or it's not about, no, there's a, there's really this personal connection, this, this relationship with with God, uh, that is that is very unique in in world religion. So, if you're listening to this and you're checking out Christianity and you want to know what makes it different, this point that that Mel has just brought up is one of the defining points about Christianity that differentiates it from and, and every it's other. one that I don't think is made often enough, clearly enough, even from pulpits that have the name Christian on the front sometimes. I think we forget uh, to mention, because we've got a book and we have practices and liturgies and things that we do so people can get the impression if they come to our churches, I think by default, oh, this is just their way of doing it. This is the yeah. way they get to God as opposed to how we did it in the synagogue or how we do at the mosque. And we're saying, no, 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 no. This is the outgrowing of this person that we had met on our own road to Damascus, if you will. Our yeah. friend that's also our leader and our forgiver. So, yeah, I think that's a huge distinctive. I hope we can put the red underliner on that one. Well, it's, so, it's, it's a good one, Mel. Thank yeah, you. What, well, what's, just uh, two more real quick. One is is the other thing that was fascinating about Paul's story, but I think it's true of all of us, is he wasn't just called from something. He wasn't just called from this wrong way he was going, this wrong direction, this wrong understanding. He was called to something else. He was called to go and then be a proclaimer and a presenter and a preacher and a pursuer of Gentiles, of others. See, I think too often we tend to, even those of us that are that are brought up around the Christian kind of concept or culture, to think that it's all about us. You know, oh, he came, he died. We believe in that. We trust in that death and resurrection, and that's what gets us into heaven. It's all a get-out-of-hell-free card. You know, we're called to get away from that. no. That same Jesus said to the, his first followers, and then he goes on to say it in multiple other places places with other metaphors, but he says, you follow me, and I'm going to make you something. And he said, I love Matthew 4, 19, because he says, follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. It's all about angling for others. It's not ultimately stop with you. It's to then use you to spread this awesome gift to everybody else. And it may get you in trouble like it did Paul. I mean, we didn't get to the end of his story where he ultimately, tradition says, was beheaded for his faith, for his belief that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to God but through him. So so anyway, so so there is that. We're called to something, not just from something. And I think that leads to, a, to the final one, which is the, the, the journey is a call to grow up, not just grow old. If you do come to know this Jesus, he's going to want you to get to know him in a mature way. And with Paul, he described that same letter to the Philippians. He went on to talk not only about his resume, and then he goes on to say, but man, all that that I thought I knew, all that that would would impress most 
people in our day as he's writing to these Philippians? He's I count that rubbish. And I'm not going to go to what that little word literally means, but it's basically just extra. He says, this is nothing compared to the surpassing value, again, not of knowing a principle, but a person, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. And then he goes on down later in the letter to then say, man, you know what? And not that I've already attained it, but I, man, I press on. I am leaning in. I want to keep learning and keep loving and keep finding out more and more and then sharing more and more of what I'm finding out about this relationship with this incredible leader forgiver we have. And he leans that way the whole rest of his life. The very last thing he writes that we know of is 2 Timothy, where he says, man, I am just now reaching the finish line. I see that the end is right there for me. But then he calls up this young apprentice, Timothy, that he's writing to and says, man, you need to do this. You need to study hard, work hard, show yourself to be a competent proclaimer, preacher, pursuer of others for this Jesus too. It's a lean-in thing. It's not a lean-on-it just to get your fire insurance. (laughs) Well, and those are both great points to walk away with, Mel, because it seems that a lot of us – well, I think everybody – but a lot of us have moments in life where we go, what am I doing all this for? What's the point of this? Am I I really – or you can feel unfulfilled by – what you're spending your time on and what what you're really doing and what Jesus offers to to everybody is is purpose and meaning and value that is surpassing some of the things that we might think are actually purposeful and meaningful and and, and valuable he's he's giving us something to live for that is greater than something we can just come up with or something that's going to be temporary. And that's a relationship with him first and foremost, but it's also the ability to communicate that uh, with others. Now, that doesn't mean like Paul, if somebody says, yes, I want to follow Jesus, that they're going to now go uh, be a missionary and travel the world. But in some sense, it does mean that, right? I think that it absolutely does. I think what we've done is confused a picture of what a missionary is with a with the mission that a missionary's on. And that mission can happen at the ballpark. You know, it can happen in the classroom. It can happen across the cul-de-sac rather than having to go to the jungle somewhere and wear bad clothes, you know, and cheap stuff. <laughs> so, yes, I agree. So just back to the point of this whole thing, the impact of a life who then impacts other lives. I, I, I love the goal, I hope that you see that in this life of this amazing character of whom almost half of the book of Acts is written about and, and who wrote almost half of the New Testament himself. I mean, this is an impact player. Great, great way to end. I'm going to uh, – we're going to end with a fun question. So, okay, so Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. So um, – but there's a there's a debated one. Okay, there's this book called Hebrews. Yep. So uh, did Paul write Hebrews, Mel? It's the million-dollar question. I would. I, I obviously don't have the million-dollar answer <laughs> because he doesn't tell Darn us, it. nor does the Bible. <laughs> All right, well, I'll he let you. He sure I'll, could have. 
He, he, he def- well, he's hey, smart that, enough. That, that's, that's the easy way yeah, out right. of that question, though. That's yeah. kind of fun. Uh, all right, Mel, thank you so much for, for being here today. This was fun. That's this was fun. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Great. Boy. Yeah, you're very welcome. We'll, we'll do it again sometime. And thank you all for listening to the Search Podcast. If you like what you're hearing here, go subscribe if you haven't already and, and share this. Uh, we want more and more people to hear this podcast. And until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.